You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Hey, we are super glad that you are uh, here today. I love that song, You Make Me Brave, because I don't know what you walk in here with today, but when you walk in, you and I, we walk in with full knowledge of like our sin and our stuff. And sometimes when you come to church, you think, oh no, this is, you know, like I'm walking in and, and maybe God's here and he's looking down on you. But church is the place where all the people who are aware of just our lives, we come in together and we lift Jesus up and we lift our king up and we come face to face. And today we're going to talk about how our life gets transformed. And one of the ways that we do that is we say, how do I get spiritually healthy? How do you and I get closer to God? And in this series, we're going to look at that because the, the further that you and I move away from God, the more your life is going to be troubled because our sin has a way of just trapping us and keeping and holding us and we feel distant from God. And the closer you get to God, the more your life is going to be transformed because you're taking an active nature to your life. Now, I love nature shows. Anybody else in here like nature shows? You know, National Geographic, other shows like that. I, I love those kind of shows. And I love it when like the big cats take down a wildebeest or whatever and they start to eat it. And uh, How many of you think that's gross? When they start to do that, it doesn't bother me a bit. I love it. I think it's like, that's so awesome. And, uh, the, you know, they take it down. And then there's all these other animals out there. Like you got like wild African dogs. And then you got the hyena, which is just annoying, right? Like its little laugh is like annoying and you're like, you know, the hyena is just a gross looking animal. And, and, but what I love about the nature shows is it shows the diversity and the creativity and the order of God. That when you look at creation, you just go, like, you look at, we call it the natural world, but let's be honest, it's kind of the unnatural world. What's happening there is it's not just a product of anything other than God's order, God's creativity, God's expression. And what we try to do, like we talked about last week, is we try to become like clones. We, we try to look like each other and act like each other and make our hair like each other and, and all these different things. And, and God loves diversity. He loves those differences. And one of the things I like in the natural world is just you see how God has designed life to work outside of human interaction. Like take the hyena, for example, or those wild African dogs. You know, they pull down an animal and they begin to eat it and they have to feed their pups. And so what they do is they eat it all and they just fill up their whole stomach. Then they run back miles and miles and miles to wherever the, the little pup den is and they get there and then they yak it up right? And then the, the puppies are like, yeah, they just eat. And it's, you, know, you would say in the natural world, that's amazing because there's no refrigeration in the Serengeti. You know what I'm saying? There just isn't. They don't have opposable thumbs. They can't pick up a doggy bag. So they just pack it on the inside and they take it back and they throw up and then the, the puppies eat it. And how many of you think that's really gross? Well, they just said, well, great. That's why you came to church today. And so glad that you're here. Now, in the natural world, we, we stand back amazed. We're like, like, birds do that. Like, you know, like the dogs do that. And we look back and go, oh, it's disgusting. I'd rather watch it on my TV. But when it happens in your living room, it's disgusting. When your dog or your cat starts doing that, like, dry heave thing, and it happens in your living room, you're like, no, no, you don't want that to happen there. And, and, and there's this verse in the Bible that I've loved probably since junior high. And it's this verse in Proverbs 26, 11. It says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly or their foolishness, right? So what happens is, you know, as a junior higher, I love that verse. Like, this says vomit in the Bible. You know, I just thought it was like awesome. And, and 
But no, that's what happens, right? Foolish people return to their folly. And, and so just picture your dog for a minute. My dog, by the way, a little beagle, and my dog's name was Cricket growing up. I don't know why my parents named it Cricket, but they did. And, you know, Cricket would, like, eat stuff and then, and then, like, throw up. And we'd be like, oh, that's disgusting. And then a little while later, Cricket would go back by. And my mom would, like, see it. And Cr Cricket would be like, start to sniff it and think, like, hey, this has not been fully digested. This is, like, what happens on the Serengeti, right? And so my mom is banging on the window, like, no, you know, Cricket, don't eat that. Of course, you know, the dog eats it. And you're like, that is so nasty. Like, what was it thinking? And then, like, minutes later, you're, like, hugging the dog and letting it lick you, and, and you baby talk it. Maybe we're not so bright either, right? What were we thinking? And yet, the Bible just says, listen, as a foolish person, as a dog returns to its vomit, so you and I, at times, return to doing what is foolish. We want transformation. How many of you want transformation? You want your life to be just radically changed. I mean, there's so many of you. We want it like we want it. We want our life to be radically changed. And yet we look at our life and we're like, but I'm so aware that in my effort, my desire to be transformed, that I have this will on the inside. And I find myself returning to the foolishness that I'd love to leave. I'd love to get away from, but I, I'm returning to that. And we want actual transformation. And when you want transformation in your life, it starts with your thoughts. See, the key to transformation is not in your actions. Because you can change your actions for a little while, but what happens? As a dog returns to its vomit, so the fool eventually will go back and do again what's well, foolish, right? So it's not your actions. It's not in your behavior. It's not in how you feel about it. It's not in your feelings. It's not in your body. It doesn't start with your will. Transformation starts with your thoughts. And if you and I can change the way you think, then you'll change the way you feel. And if you change the way you feel, then you'll change the way that you act. It's like working out or it's like eating more healthy. If you change the way you think about food, then you will eat food that's healthier. You will start to feel better about the kind of food you're eating and develop appetite for food that you used to avoid but is actually healthy for you. And then it will change the way you act, and you'll start to not like the foods that you used to just indulge in. So it's, again, if we change the way we think, then we change the way that we will feel. And if you change the way you feel, then you will change the way that you act. But what happens? We get stuck in our stinking thinking. Our mind is wired a certain way to think certain things, and that's why input is so important because when you and I put certain input in, it has a way of working itself out. And people always say certain input is harmless, but then it works itself out, and you say, why am I returning to what is foolish? Well, fortunately, Jesus tells us a beautiful parable about transformation that reveals God's heart, the heart of the Father, in regard to sons and daughters, you and me. He tells the story in Luke 15, if you have your Bible open there, to Luke 15, Jesus is telling a parable about a young man who had to get to a point to stop his stinking thinking. And Jesus starts off, first of all, in the same passage, he tells us the story, he tells the story about a lost sheep. There's 99 sheep were saved, and there's one lost. Well, the shepherd leaves the 99. He goes after the one. He finds this sheep, and when he's found, he rejoices. The sheep that was lost 
was found. And then he tells another story about something being lost. He talks about a lady has these coins and she loses one of her most valuable coins and she stops everything. And she begins to search through her entire house, looks all over for what was lost. And when she finds it, she announces it to her neighbor that I found what was lost. And now Jesus turns his parable and tells us this in Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me a share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and I'll say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a barbecue, I mean a feast, and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. How does transformation happen? How do you and I actually change? If you're taking notes today, and I highly encourage you to, on your outline in your program, the first fill-in is this, that you need to first of all get fed up with my life. I got to get fed up with my life. The son had wasted it all. He had nothing left. He got desperate. In fact, he got hungry. And some of us have to get hungry in our lives, hungry for change. And when we realize that we're hungry, it's because we need to feed, and we need to feed on what is good and healthy and right. And part of it is we realize we got to get fed up with what we've been trying to eat. And it isn't satisfying in our life. Get fed up with my life. He finally came to his senses. So what do you do and I do? We say this to ourselves. We say, I get fed up with my life. I get fed up with my circumstances. I get fed up with the way I've been living. I get sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm not going to live this way anymore. I'm too stressed out. I'm too lonely. I'm too depressed. I'm too overworked. I don't even like myself. Why would anybody like me? I mean, I don't even like myself. I don't feel like I'm living life right now. When you start to allow yourself to get fed up with your life, it's good because it becomes a beginning point for change. See, nothing is going to get changed in your life. Nothing is going to happen over the next seven weeks of this series unless you get fed up with your life. Because if you're just sitting there saying, hey, I'm all good, I think I'm good enough, I I'm pretty cool, you know, I can manage what I have going on right now, then you're not ready for change. You, you, you know, little is going to change in your life over seven weeks. 
But when you and I begin to look at the areas of our life that we start running back to our vomit, we start running back to our foolishness, when we see what input is causing an output, and we begin to get fed up with it, then you're making a decision. You're deciding, I don't like this. And you must decide, I'm tired of being stressed out all the time. I'm tired of being frustrated all the time. I'm tired of overcomplicating my week and my life by my behavior. I'm tired of being overworked all the time. I'm tired of feeling distant from God. You get fed up with your life. You've got to get desperate. You've got to get hungry. You've got to get anxious for a change. Nothing happens until you get fed up. That's the starting point. Jeremiah 29 Verse 13, God is speaking to the nation of Israel. He says this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. What's God saying? Stop playing games. Get fed up with your life. Seek me and find me. Don't coast. Don't coast as if I'm a little portion of your life, a little part of your life. But come near to me. Draw close to me. Why? Because when you seek me with all your heart, guess what? You're going to find me. But when you're playing games, when you're coasting, when you're not fed up with your life, God's going to feel really, really distant. Well, the son rebels against his dad, and it's pretty brutal if you understand the nature of the story that Jesus tells. Under Old Testament law, if a Jewish son were to say what this son said to his dad, this father could have taken the son outside, thrown rocks on him until he's dead, just could have killed him. And so the people who are listening, the Jewish audience who are listening to Jesus, Jesus begins to tell the story, and instantly they're thinking, like, take him out. Because why? The son basically says, drop dead, dad. I'm not the oldest son who gets a double portion of the inheritance. This is the younger son. And he's saying, I'm the younger son, and not only am I not letting my older brother be the executor of the will, I'm asking for my inheritance while you're still alive, dad. In other words, I would rather have your, the inheritance, my portion, than have relationship with you. Some of you do that with the Lord. I want what you'll give me over you. I want the inheritance, but I'm not sure I want relationship with you. You and I are going to see lots of death in the early stages of lostness. A father who has to grieve the loss of relationship with a son. If you're the parent of an adult child who's not following the Lord, you understand that firsthand. When you watch a friend begin to destruct their life and, and run away from the Lord, it doesn't mean they don't make mistakes. We all make mistakes. But when you've made a mistake, do you and I run back to the Lord? But when we begin to watch lostness happen... The father relinquishes death of a relationship. You and I, we lose our sense of true bearing. We lose our sense of direction. In fact, we kind of lose our sense with reality. And other people on the outside would listen to our blaming and our talk, and they would say, uh, there's a little more going on here than how you perceive reality to be. Let me tell you something. You and I, it's easy. When you're driving or when you're just driving your life, you and I can get lost in 10 minutes. It's easy to get lost. But it takes a lot longer than 10 minutes to come to our senses. Jesus describes, this is what this, this young man did. He spent all the wealth. And afterwards, Jesus describes the most shocking, awful, brutal job that a Jewish person could have. That they would be feeding pigs. It's very unkosher. 
He's not sitting there thinking, if only I could eat bacon. That's what I would be thinking, right? He's sitting there going, if, if only I could eat what the pigs are eating. Because, because even being around these unclean animals at that day and age, yeah, I mean, the people who are listening to Jesus' story, when he says he's out there feeding pigs, they were like, oh, no Jewish person in their right mind would ever do that. It wasn't in his right mind. He was in that place of lostness totally unkosher. And Jesus uses the term wild living. People always try to fill in the blanks. Well, what was the prodigal doing? Jesus says wild living. Why? Because your wild living is different than my wild living. And the way that you and I interact with life, we're all going to have our areas where we keep returning to wild living. And God's going to say, let me help you call away from that. Wild living leads you and me where we do not want to go. It traps us. It binds us with fear. It encourages distorted thinking about who we are and who is to blame and what we have to do to get help. So let me ask, what's your wild living? What do you keep returning to? Like a fool returns to foolishness. What pattern do you see? See, and sometimes we think like really big, you know, easy things. Well, maybe it's, maybe it's addiction or maybe it's, what about, what if it's habitual lying? What if your wild living is gossip? What if your wild living is materialism? What if it's selfishness, just always thinking about you? You just always, your wild living is you. You're just wrapped up in there. And of course, there's times that what if it's crude humor? What if that's your wild living? What if for you it's obvious things like pornography? What if it's addictions? What if it's secrets? What if it's entitlement and power? What if it's basically emotional paralysis that you just give yourself an easy out when things get hard emotionally, you just check out? What if it's gluttony? What if it's the obvious things in our culture? Drunkenness, addictions. What do you keep returning to? Famine crushed the economy. See, here he is. He spends all that he has. He's out there with wild living. He spends it all, but he's not, he's not broken up yet. He, he spent it all, but the party's still happening, and there's enough people he gave to maybe give him back, and they're still having a, a decent time, and then the economy tanks. And when you and I are squeezed sometimes by the economy, it reveals ways that we've been wild living he hadn't bottomed out until the economy tanked. Sometimes the realities of a tough economy reveal the extent of the senseless ways when we've been living. Let me ask, what might the toughness of your current financial state reveal to you about your own wild living? Maybe you thought in time of plenty you were going to have enough and maybe your God became your car or your house or your, your experiences or your friends or whatever. Maybe your wild living doesn't look wild in our culture. It just looks like the American way. And then the economy tanks and God begins to reveal as you and I bottom out that we've been living for self. So what do you do? You get fed up with your life get fed up. The second thing is this. We need to own up to our sin. You say to yourself, I need to own up to my sin. The Bible says that when he came to his senses, what a great moment, isn't that? 
when the stinking thinking that led him to selfishness and indulgence and led him to the place where he is now, when he was in a lost place, and he finally just came to his senses, it's the breakthrough moment. It's the aha moment. It's the time when you finally get fed up with your life and you finally own up to your sin. He said, I have sinned against God and I've sinned against you, Dad. Isaiah 59 says this to the nation of Israel. It says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Oh, and isn't that what we think by default? Because I sin, God's just, he's just ignoring me. He's like this. And that's not what this verse is saying. What it's saying is not that God can't or won't hear you. It's not that God's upset and just refuses to hear you. What it's saying is your sin is the blocker. My sin is the blocker. So suddenly it's like my pride is not letting me step toward God because he's willing to hear. He's willing to heal. He's willing to forgive. He's willing to run to you. But what happens, you and I, we keep our sin in that place. He's not tuning you out. He's waiting for you to approach him. Psalm 51 there's a passage in scripture that would be so good for you just to read and say, what does true repentance look like? And, and what does turning back toward God look like in my life? It's found in Psalm 51. David had sinned, and he says this in verse 1. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. And my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you were right in your verdict. You were justified when you judge. What's David doing? He's owning up to his sin. God, I sinned. What I did was against you. And I own up to that. I'm not blaming, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not saying he did it, she did it, somebody else did it, my parents, none of that. He's saying, I've sinned against you. He's owning up to it. And as you look through the rest of that passage, you see what ultimate repentance and God's grace looks like. Even when the distraction of this wild living had ended, he was still stuck. So he'd spent all he had. When he had spent everything... It wasn't then until the economy tanked that he finally hired himself out. And even when he hired himself out, he was still stuck. He's sitting there. He's like, I've hired myself out. I'm trying to, you know, earn my keep. I was living off inheritance, but now I'm trying to earn my keep. And even then, he was still stuck. He was stuck. There is a kind of lostness that no human effort or performing will fix. What happens? All his money goes away. He's like, well, I'll fix it. I'll get a job. I'm going I'm to perform. I'm going I'm to be good enough to make something of my life. And as he does it, the economy tanks. And as he's there, he finally realizes, I am starving. My performance isn't good enough. I'm still stuck as when I was wild living. I'm just as stuck now as I was when things were in plenty, now that I'm in want. There is a kind of lostness that no human performance or effort will fix. Jesus tells the story of that sheep that was lost. And what happened? The sheep was the lost item. And when the sheep was lost, the shepherd left and he went searching. He pursued it and he found it and he put it up on his shoulders and he brought it back. And, and a person found the lost item. The person, the shepherd, found the sheep. 
when it was a coin that was lost, the lady, a person, went looking all over and she finally rescued the lost coin. She found it. She celebrated once she found it. But what happens when the person is the lost item? Who goes looking for it? It's not a sheep. It's not a coin. Now a person is a lost item, and sometimes you and I sit there, and we are lost, and we are waiting for a person to rescue us. But Jesus is pointing out that when the person is the lost item, it's no one else's responsibility. The person who finds the lost person is the lost person because they turn to God. That you own up to your sin not so in this case. You, if you're lost, you must repent. You must turn towards God. What happens? You come to your senses. And if you've ever been in that kind of situation where you realize, my life is so frustrated, I've gotten fed up, I'm going to own up to my sin. There's this relinquishing of all the excuses and the dialogue and the convincing of yourself that you tell everybody else. There's this relinquishing of all that. There's this letting go of all of it. And you come to your senses and you say, I'm the lost item. And I need to take a step toward God. That's where change happens. Isaiah 118, God's making an appeal. He says this, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. What's he saying? You're blood guilty. Your sin is like blood stains. And though your sin is that, now that you are fed up with your life, now that you've come to your senses, he said, let's settle the matter. He said, they shall be white as snow. They shall be like wool. Why? Because he's saying, I'm going to pay for it with my blood. My blood makes your blood guilt pure, white, forgiven, free. Your sins will be washed away. You'll be white as snow. We watch this video. I had had a relationship and I knew Jesus and I loved Jesus and I believed in Jesus. Um, but my heart had never really completely changed. And that was made aware about two years ago when my husband and I divorced. It was a really ugly divorce. It was very hurtful. Um, and very shocking to me. And so it fed all of the lies that I'd been believing about myself for 30 plus years. Um, the enemy took it as an opportunity to whisper, you know, words of shame and self-hatred and you're not good enough, you're not lovable, you're not likable, nobody's ever gonna want you. And so I just believed it and made decisions based on those lies. And it really became extremely self-destructive and I knew something needed to change, but I just, wasn't willing. I wasn't ready. Last November, I went to the Women of Faith Conference, and it really, really touched me. And I left there knowing that something needed to change. I was no longer wanting to agree with those lies. I was no longer wanting to be suffocated by my sin. And I drove home that night from the, from the conference, and I heard God loud and clear. And he basically told me, Christina, it's time to knock your crap off. And um, it's so awesome how God knows how to speak specifically to each individual person. And he knew I would hear that and so and relate to that. And I did. And um, that next day, I, 
I made small changes immediately, and I committed to my kids that we were going to go to church every Sunday. We were going as a family, period. Um, no arguments about it. And so we started doing that, and in addition to that, I started um, going to Christian counseling where I was able to address those lies that I'd been believing about myself for 30-plus years, really seeking God and, and His truth and looking into the Word and what God had to say about that. And slowly those lies no longer had power over me and I just started making changes